Our scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Listen now for the word of God. Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them, for then you have not your reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that others may praise them. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be done in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that others may see them. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Ash Wednesday, as we've said, marks the beginning of the season of Lent. And the church historically holds this as a period of preparation for baptism by converts or for those who had seriously committed sins against the community. And traditionally, for us, today it has become a season of penitence a space in which we remember our mortality and sinfulness as we prepare to celebrate and be with our risen Lord Jesus at Easter. The ashes provide for us a type of brand to remind us ultimately of whose we are, who we are, to whom we orient our hearts toward. And the ashes symbolize dust, so that we remember we are dust, and to dust we will return. I sometimes think this is sort of a morbid thought. It's sort of paradoxical, but I think there's some truth in this paradox, that the more focus we put on death, the more emphasis we seem to give to the ultimate gift of life, which is Christ. And I think this was the hope of the church, that we would focus on life everlasting, and that the ashes would serve as, it would prompt us to do so. In a popular sense, it's during this time that we try to resuscitate all the New Year's resolutions that we've already dropped, right? And we try to give them up a second time, but this time for God, because that's going to make it have stain power, all right? Now, I remember as it, y'all laugh because it's true, right? Goodness, you're already thinking, well, I, I need to drop those, those brownies again or whatever it may have been, right? I remember as a child, I, I would talk with my Catholic friends and siblings um, because I was raised Catholic and we would converse together about what we were going to give up, right? And on Ash Wednesday, we would proclaim loudly and confidently to one another all the things we were going to give up, all the self-sacrifice we were going to embark on. And personally, my sacrifices usually resolved, revolved around things like Coca-Cola, okay? I also remember vividly the very next week how I would be roaming the halls at school sipping a Coca-Cola in secret and that I would immediately see somebody who I had told about this and then turn the other way and start <laughs> to be embarrassed. Don't judge me, okay? 
The grand proclamations and promises that we made were soon forgotten and we wouldn't speak again until Easter when we would enthusiastically and joyfully proclaim, Hallelujah, Christ is risen, thank goodness. And over time, I've been learning that I generally have that part backward. Jesus makes it abundantly clear in our scripture from today. Jesus says, beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them. And a careful distinction should be made. Jesus is not necessarily saying that practicing your piety, the acts of doing so, is inherently a bad thing. The second part of the sentence tells us what Jesus may be after, to be seen by them. Jesus is more concerned with the intent in which piety is practiced rather than the acts themselves. Give alms, Jesus says, but do not do it for the praise of others. Pray, Jesus says, but but don't do it to be seen by others. Intent is a formative agent for the orientation of our hearts. For example, if the act of giving food to the poor is acted upon because one's intent is to alleviate the hunger of those to whom they are giving the food, the heart is oriented to that cause without any expectation. On the other hand, if the action of providing food to the poor is acted upon because, because one's intent is to receive uh, the Austin's alleviation of hunger for the homeless award, I just made that up, then the heart is ultimately oriented toward egotism. The practice of talking or thinking about oneself too much. And often in our pursuits to be closer to God during the season of Lent, we never get around to examining the intent of our actions. Why are we putting ourselves through these things? What's driving that decision? Part of the problem, at least for me, is that I start from the wrong place. G.K. Chesterton once said, let your religion be less of a theory and more of a love affair. Let your religion be less of a theory and more of a love affair. Now, when I first came across this quote a while back, I thought it was an odd quote, probably because in my mind, I had all sorts of uh, images of, of what we, in the contemporary world, in the modern life, think of love affairs, right? And then I remembered something fundamental about our faith. God loves us. In fact, in the Gospel of John, it is implied that God's intent is entirely rooted in love. Anyone know what verse I'm thinking of? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world. The intent of our religion, our faith, our commitment and devotion to God should not be rooted in a series of obligatory acts that in theory might provide us favorable results. If we do this, then life will be okay. If we do this, we'll be happy. If we do this, it'll be joyful. We'll have peace. 
but it ought to be rooted in love. And love is often messy. Love is often surprising. Love is often unexpected. And St. Paul shapes this for us when he says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. What if we treated this season of Lent, this this time of growing closer to God as a love affair? A love affair with God. What if that was our intent? the one thing we held at the center. What acts of piety, what practices would spring from that intent? Perhaps a more concrete way to think about this would be, and I want you to do this real quickly, close your eyes and think of someone you love deeply. Maybe they're in this space. Maybe they're far away. Hold them there in your mind. When you give them gifts, is your first impulse to let them know how much you labored and paid for that gift? When you give them your time, is your first impulse to let them know how busy you are and that they should be eternally grateful for the time that you gave them? You can open your eyes. No. Generally, we give because we are glad that the one we love exists and we think their existence is wonderful. Loving is a practice. Loving someone takes discipline. Loving someone takes concentration. Loving someone takes patience. So how can you, how can you practice these conditions in your love affair with God. This season of Lent, as we prepare and orient our hearts to be closer to God, may we remember that our faith is not a theory, but a love affair. May our acts of piety and devotion and commitment be shaped by that reality. May the mark of the cross that we will receive and from those ashes be a symbol that we reside in God's love for the world. Amen. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, The early Christians observed with great devotion the days of our Lord's passion and resurrection. And it became the custom of the church that before the Easter celebration, there should be a 40-day season of spiritual preparation. And during this season, converts to the faith were prepared for holy baptism. It was also a time when persons who had committed serious sins and had separated themselves from the community of faith were reconciled with penitence 
and forgiveness and restored to participation in the life of the church. In this way, the whole congregation was reminded of the mercy and forgiveness proclaimed in the gospel of Jesus Christ and the need we all have to renew our faith. I invite you, therefore, in the name of the church, to observe a holy Lent by self-examination, by repentance, by prayer, by fasting, self-denial, and by reading and meditating on God's holy word. To make a right beginning of repentance and as a mark of our mortal nature, let us now pray. Almighty God, you have created us out of the dust of the earth. Grant that these ashes may be to us a sign of our mortality and penitence so that we may remember that only by your gracious gift are we given everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen.